Hello and welcome to AIPT Comics Podcast, the number one comics podcast on AIPTComics.com. My name is David Brooke and I am just one host of two hosts on this show. Who's the other host? Hello, my name is Forrest with two R's. I'm excited to talk about comics this weekend. I had a very fun time revisiting this one for our book club. Yes, this week on the AIPT Book Club, we will be talking about East of West Volume 1 by Jonathan Hickman and Nick Dragota. This is a series that just wrapped up in December. But we'll be talking just about the first five issues. Um, this is our way to uh, t- talk about comics that have already come out, but that need a little bit more attention because you may have forgot about them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's also a great time for folks to revisit books that they've read previously. I had not revisited East of West since 2013 when it came out. Uh, but, you know, quarantine life. <laughs> I, I could just see the gang signs you're throwing out there. <laughs> this is the show that we also recap all the biggest comic book news of the week. And that's how we start every show. And uh, there's a lot of positive news coming out. Who would have thunk four Finally. weeks yeah. of self-quarantine would have amounted to some good news eventually. I think it's also lowered my standards for what's good news. Right? Yeah. I mean, we've done this show for a year and a half and a lot more positives in that first year. <laughs> <laughs> No kidding. It's hard to get excited, but when things have been reduced to zero comics per week, it it gets a little easier. Yeah. So in the top of our news, DC Comics explained itself when it uh, decided to use two other distributors outside of Diamond uh, due to Diamond shuttering and no longer shipping comics. Uh, This was an article on Newsarama where... It was a letter, another letter from the direct to the direct market, which is like the main way we've gotten most of our information in the last couple of weeks. Right. Um, but to me, their explanation makes a lot of sense. I know Diamond was annoyed um, that that DC decided to start shipping comics about four weeks earlier than what Diamond will be shipping comics, which is um, May twentieth. Uh, but DC found a way around that so they could ship four to five books a week, starting last week and uh, going on into. Uh, May uh, of this year. And that's partnered with uh, Discount Comic Book Service and Midtown Comics. Um, right. Working as distributors, as also as retailers. Um, they're actually two of Diamond's biggest retailers. And DC basically came in and said, hey, we had to do this because we heard from a lot of um, customers and a lot from uh, comic book stores that they had ordered books all throughout April that Diamond did not fill. Mm-hmm. But that Diamond told us they filled or had the intention of filling. We can't let that discrepancy go. We need to get comics to people that ordered them and expected them as quickly as possible, which I think is a totally reasonable thing to do. Yeah, there are comic shops that are still open. They're doing curbside pickup or whatever it takes to sell books. And to have no new product is effectively killing them. So DC is going out of its way to sell a couple new books to drive interest and traffic to these stores. Yeah, I, I think, and also to kind of divert attention from Diamond, intentionally so, and maybe unintentionally so. It's pragmatic, I guess. Mm-hmm. This last week, the CEO of Diamond, Steve Jeppy, yep. did a Q&A on YouTube where he basically explained... You know, the their, of side, their side of yeah. things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of talk in there about how it was annoying to them uh, that DC found two other distributors to get their books out. Um, it's it's an interesting listen, although I don't know if it's that necessary. It's, it's slightly awkward. It didn't bring a lot of faith in my mind to Diamond's operations. It seems like they're kind of just winging it. 
Abs- absolutely. I mean, they said as yeah. much that that May twentieth date is a placeholder, right? Like it's a it's a hope, right? <laughs> right. And they're I mean they're tr- they're trying their best, but at the same time, um, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> it seems like it seems like they just want things to go back to normal rather than trying to find solutions or change the system in any way. I mean, yeah, it, it, that benefits them, right? right, um, right. You know, Steve has been on top of the game for it's been this way for like twenty five years. Right. It's certainly been this way for as long as I've been buying and reading comics. Um, and, and obviously he doesn't want that kind of monopoly and that kind of standard to be upset. He's actually a little vocal about that. Mm-hmm. He's also very vocal about which parts of the comics industry he likes and which parts he doesn't like. Um, he's, I would say, pro-Comics-gate. He actually quoted some arguments from Ethan Van Shriver, um, as well as, you know, some president trump mega-esque things deflecting that those kinds of things um i said some i guess defamatory things about him like two weeks ago Mm -hmm. um and i just wanted to be clear that that wasn't a joke i was directly referencing things that are on his twitter with regards to mega with regards to posting pictures with his family and then telling women that they're so beautiful how can he pay them to fly out and meet them or maybe they want to use his family's tickets at a baseball game um (laughs) that kind of stuff so he's not i don't find him inherently trustworthy for a number of reasons yeah and then um he's basically saying like he he basically it was weird to watch because he vacillated wildly between things that are totally reasonable and totally mm-hmm. speak to why Diamond has had this monopoly for so long because he is pragmatic and he knows what's going on. He knows the publishers. He knows the books. He knows the market. But then he just flips to like when someone points out something that he's done wrong to just like totally wild accusations. Um, he he. One thing that I picked up was that he said that they had talked about and they were very pro a Marvel and DC crossover. Right. Um, and that was because he felt that if someone is interested in one of the properties, they will buy the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's interesting. It's also, he alluded to the fact that there were actually talks about that. The same week that news came out that Scott Snyder's original metal ending was starting a Marvel crossover. Um, obviously, uh, some other comics creators have been talking around that as well. None of it's um, actionable right now. I don't. I haven't seen scripts or plans or art or anything like that. But it certainly seems like something they've been talking about more frequently over the last year, um, to the point that Diamond knew about it as well. Yeah, the gut reaction was, this isn't real, this is just made up mm-hmm. poppycock, but in yeah. fact, it's something that could actually happen. It's just like, a lot of people thought it was wishful quarantine thinking, <laughs> right, but it, right. it definitely came from somewhere. Um, yeah, I think he. it was weird to listen to. It's all up on YouTube. I'm sure you can find it on Twitter. Um, as well, a couple Twitter users tweeted out like a, a a live listen of it, live tweeted it. Yeah, you can find it on Comic Book News with Dan Shahin, uh, his YouTube. It's a two-hour interview over Zoom yeah. with uh, Steve Jeppy and other uh, creator, uh, sorry, comic shop owners. And retailers, yeah. And some yeah. of the retailers are, it's weird, like, that by virtue it makes him seem more normal. Because the things he's saying are totally wild in some cases. And then you get like a comic book owner that calls in and is like, why is DC evil? Why are they trying to ruin my store? And, yeah. you know, he was very honest and said, I don't think that they are. Yeah. I don't think that they're trying to do that. But it's it's frustrating from a business perspective. We have our own plans. Um, 
that we're working towards. Right. Whatever. I don't find him trustworthy at all, especially because Diamond has moved the goalposts so many times. It's definitely weird when he's like referencing billionaires. Yeah. Meanwhile, comic shop owners can barely pay their yeah. rent, if if yeah. at all. It's wild. Like it just seems like he's sort of uh, disconnected from a bit of reality there. Absolutely. For instance, like you know, a couple weeks ago, not paying vendors, right. and then randomly, like then randomly a few days later, saying he'll take a, a pay cut. It's like, oh, thanks so much. Like, yeah, it's all it's all just reactionary. Absolutely, and it's strange to me that he didn't have something ready for DC because DC came out and said, "Yo, we have these dates, like April fifth through eighteenth, that people were yeah. supposed to get their orders. They didn't get their orders, and Diamond told us anyway that they shipped." Right. And then he didn't really react to that at all. And Diamond's statement was like, the books will be out May 20th. <laughs> like, it's so meal mouth. I'm a little nervous, to be honest. I don't know if books really will come out May 20th, I, even though mm, uh, we've got lists that have come out. If you go to aptcomics.com, there are full lists of all the books that are supposed to come out yeah. May 20th. Um, the The... The Marvel comics that were supposed to come out, originally there was a longer list, and this was all validated by a another retailer who actually got spreadsheets um, of what to order. Um, and there was like something like 15 Marvel comics at first, but then a couple of days later, Marvel clarified. Significantly, yeah. Yeah, but there are quite a few Image Comics, IDW, Boom, Dark Horse, Dynamite. Action Lab, Aftershocks, Comics, uh, Humanoids. I mean, Oni Press, everybody's kind of coming out with something May 20th, supposedly. Through Diamond, uh, yeah. Through Diamond, yeah. Um, which is great news, but I'm still, like, holding, like... Yeah, you know, I mean... Holding uh, the, off being like, too excited. The only trustworthy folks at this point are DC, which is weird. You know, I'm not shilling for them or anything like that, but they've got a process set up. They've got a process that circumvents Diamond set up. Um, yeah, they shipped they, five books shipped, last week. Right, yeah. And they have um, May 19th and May 26th release li lists already set up. So it seems like they've been very, very proactive. Um, Marvel's been much slower and much quieter. But we can talk about that in a minute. Yeah, so DC's going to have six books out this next uh, new comic book day, or actually Tuesday, because they're releasing a day earlier for some reason. I wonder why. Um, God, yeah, please Marvel... don't make it... What? I don't want that to be something that stays. Oh yeah, there's like, like two, ship, there's two, two ship dates per week. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. That seems like a rock. Like you can count on that. Mm -hmm. uh, I reviewed. I, I reviewed three comic books last week. I was excited. Uh, then Marvel on Friday came out with a full list of everything they're releasing between May 27th and July 8th, and a couple things were interesting about their list and very unconventional, especially for them. And I'm just gonna list them off really quick. Yeah, One. Go for it. They didn't, there isn't 25 new comics every week, like usual. <laughs> <laughs> Two, there are only new single issues every other week, and then every other week uh, outside of that are trade paperback releases. Mm -hmm. And three, uh, the, the, the amount of comics coming out are, are so limited that it appears they are stretching out what was supposed to come out already by now over the next two months. Yes. Yep. And, they, and, and they've pushed yeah. back events and other big titles... They go all the way back to, you know, like C2E2. Right. So, yeah, Empire isn't going to, isn't even going to start until July 15th, uh, presumably. Yeah. But M the one of the tie-ins, the Empire number zero Avengers is going to come out June 24th. Mm -hmm. So there's a lead-in, not until June, when this is all 
let me remind you, Empire Number One was supposed to come out April fifteenth. Right. Yeah. That's quite and, a delay. And X of Swords, Children of the Atom, and X Factor aren't even on the slate yet. Those yep. were all uh, widely talked about and requested as well. They did release a letter. Um, it seems like two retailers. Again, the, this communication line has been really weird. Seven days after Diamond confirmed plans to resume distribution options for May. 20th marvel comics has released amended plans for its schedule and then said um in an in a letter as diamond continues its efforts to reopen distribution for the retail community marvel will be gradually releasing print comics and trade collections on an alternating weekly schedule starting may 27th this balanced short-term schedule will allow everyone industry partners comic shops marvel and our fans to work through an incredible amount of change at every level while providing new product to purchase and give retailers a clear plan to adjust their weekly final order cutoff orders um and then they're thinking that by july 15th they'll be back to a regular release schedule which would mean that the first order cutoff for those would be in june Mm-hmm. Um, we should be seeing new solicits, new schedules and stuff in the coming months and weeks, if that's the case. It's a very measured response. I get it. Um, they also said, you know, we don't want you to overbuy because there's so much regional variance. Mm-hmm. We don't want comic book stores to overbuy things that might be guaranteed sellers like Empire Number 1 or, you know, I'm assuming the X-Men books that have been delayed. Those are assumptions on my part that... Um, we don't want you to overbuy things that would have been guaranteed sellers for you to have no one to come in. Right. Which is fair. I think that that makes sense. Um, although I kind of fall more on DC side, which is like having comics to sell is better than having no comics at all. Right. Um, it's interesting. It's a weird time. DC is also staggering their big titles. Though, right? Like Batman isn't coming yeah. out for a while and death metal isn't even announced. We don't even know when it will start. Yeah. Um, yeah. It I is think it's fascinating. Just, it just illustrates the difference between the two publishers and their responses. DC was very proactive. Marvel was very reactive. They really waited to see the lay of the land. Um, there's also that more hush, hush, quieter news that they furloughed like half of their editorial staff. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. It's interesting to stagger the releases, the single issue releases like this. It makes me wonder if it's in part because, you know, with self-quarantining and states on lockdown, it'll make it easier. It'll make it, it'll make it easier to have less contact because folks won't be necessarily going to the store every week. They only have sure. to go every other week yeah. to get their new single issues. Um, and they can, and then it also is a smart way to possibly push their trades a little bit more because now you only get the new trades on a whole week rather than mixed in with single issues. Yeah. Yeah. It is. It, it's also a little bit more complex base, uh, compared to what DC is doing, which is they're only releasing, you know, three to six books a week. They, they whereas kind of pared down their line. Whereas yeah. Marvel is, I think actually being a little more, um, uh, acting with forethought in that they're trying to shift their entire schedule right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of fans are like, wait, where are these books? Where are these books? Yeah. I don't think anything's been canceled necessarily unless it hadn't ever even been announced. I do think some books might not come back, but I don't know. I don't want to speculate on which ones. I don't know. I saw someone speculate maybe the reason why. So on May 27th, the first books coming out are Amazing Spider-Man, Avengers, Marauders, Star Wars, Dr. Afro number one, and Venom. And Those they were saying... Guaranteed. Yeah. Yeah, it, these are already on everyone's pull list, yeah. except for, except for maybe Afro, but still, that one's a, a biggie that 
mm-hmm. um, will likely sell yeah. well. So, and they probably want to get that started as soon as possible so that when issue two comes out in August, <laughs> people will be ready for it. Right. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a, it's a, a safe first five issues to come out. Yeah, totally. For sales reasons. Yeah. And again, I think there's a lot of forethought in that too. It just depends right. on what response is what you want as a consumer. Mm-hmm. DC has been very upfront and proactive, as I've said, and I think maybe a little dramatic. They're getting into it in Diamond with Diamond in public, um, and Marvel hasn't done that. And then you have all the indies and stuff like TKO who are shipping their books and donating money to the stores. Right. So I don't know. It, 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 there's a wide variance. Yeah, they're they're a little more outspoken about helping the comic book shops out there mm-hmm. in the industry. Yeah. Say for like Jim Lee's work. Yeah. Yeah. Um, with the, uh, the auctioning of his sketches every day in other, uh, revised schedule news, boom studios also revised their May and June, 2020 solicitations. Mm-hmm. Um, again, it's not a big surprise. No, definitely are, not. They've literally held everything but, uh, for the last four weeks. I mean, they're kind of the in between between Marvel and DC here. Um, mm-hmm. I do appreciate that they revised their entire schedule. They just put it all out there. Hey, this is when we think the books will ship, and this is what they are. It's simple, straightforward. The the, uh, the hashtag creators for comics uh, earlier this week they revealed that they have raised four hundred and thirty thousand dollars to uh, donate to comic book shops to help those in need. Uh, this is crazy great news. Yeah, I um, think that that's actually the amount that they've already donated, right? Yeah, yeah. They yeah. raised more than that. Yeah. It's uh Cuz I saw someone saying that they had raised approaching a million dollars. Get out. Yeah. Nah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure I could go back and find that, but absolutely. It's uh I wonder how far that goes. Like how much does one shop need? Do they need like $1000 to stay open for a month or Well, you've got to buy your product, you've got to pay for rent, mm. insurance, um, those sorts of things. Obviously, their most comic book stores are kept afloat primarily, actually, by other industries. You know, Funko, Pokemon, Magic: The Gathering, Dungeons and Dragons. Those kinds of things are actually they're more expensive and substantial sellers than comics themselves. Mm-hmm. And also, comic books are a volatile industry comparatively. Right. right. Some good news, though. But, uh, but you news. wouldn't say no to getting money. <laughs> especially no, money that creators and fans raised for you right i wonder how comic shops will respond do you think they will when things are back to normal will they thank the industry in some way is there any is there any reaction they should give i don't i don't think i don't have any um expectations of them yeah i mean they're victims in all this yes. so yeah they shouldn't be expected to uh to grovel or anything yeah uh, in other good news, the March 2020 comic book sales figures came in, and they were quite good. Um, this is obviously the March sales, so COVID-19 hadn't quite hit North America yet. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, and th- there were some surprises. Probably the biggest surprise was the number one comic of the month, in my opinion, which is Spider-Woman, number one. Yes, Carla Pacheco. No, I am not knocking the book. I actually liked it quite a bit. But I'm just surprised it sold 142,000 units. You know, I was super surprised that Black Cat sold that well, too. Oh, a couple of months ago? Yeah, a while ago. Yeah. Um, I, people like number ones. People like female characters. Um, it's just a... a I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, I guess certain circumstances made that happen, right? Mm-hmm. Although I thought it was fun. 
Carla's friend of the show. Friend of the show. The yeah, the book might have sold a little bit better because it was one of the last new comics for a while. Yeah. Oh, I remember what I was going to say. There are a lot of Spider Woman fans. Oh yeah, like, sure. They're very outspoken on Twitter. Actually, Carla replies to our tweets sometimes, and then like all of the Spider Woman fans jump on, and my notifications yeah. go off for a while. That's funny. That's a strong crowd. It absolutely is. Yep. You know something I noticed in the top ten here? Hmm. There are five comics that have a gender in in the name of the title <laughs> yeah i mean that's an old mainstay spider right? woman then number two and number three are batman and then number six is x-men yeah. and number nine is x-men yeah i don't know if that matters i just was like huh that's yeah. that's kind of funny you don't see that all the, the time old nomenclature it's, you just tell it just tells you they should have called him hulk man <laughs> <laughs> and flash man and thor the man. hulking man the Hulking Man. Yeah, Hulk, Immortal Hulk number uh, 33 was 10. That's crazy. You so that's never a high number. see books that deep in a run. That high. Unless it's like Batman. Unless they're Batman or Spider-Man, right? Yeah. Yeah, that, that's, it's just such a well-done book. It's just selling, and, it, and that's such a great... It's just such great news, because it shows that quality does matter. Absolutely, yeah. I, I think that a lot of people... I am certainly of the mindset that it's the one of the best if not the best individual ongoing comic i've read in years i was kind of surprised by what things didn't make the top 10 and like what? that includes star wars bounty hunters number one star wars is a hot property star wars was the last comic to sell a million issues is that right i don't know or make a million dollars one of the two figures jason aaron's run there uh yeah when they relaunched star wars a while ago yeah yeah um the robin 80th anniversary 100 page super special issue spectacular um came in at number 12 which sold actually less than star wars which i think demonstrates that those anniversary issues may not be a good mainstay strange adventures right below that for tom king and then below that at number 14 deceased unkillables tom king and tom taylor's are are usually very high sellers uh, Batman obviously dipped a bit under Tom King's run, but it, normally he does very well, especially like his individual stories like this. And then Hellions, which is a new part of the X-Men line, coming in at number 15. Probably my favorite number one of the X-Men line, though. Yeah, very, very good book. Yeah. And yet, maybe it's the title. Maybe people don't know what Hellions means. Yeah, and it's also maybe the Times. I mean, we cite Comicron for all of this information, and I thank them for putting it out, being so on top of it every month. But they said that there's notable, towards the end of the month, as shutdowns went into place, there's notable trade drop-off, there's notable individual issue drop-off, that kind of stuff. So, I don't know. Hellions was like the last book I remember reading before I went into quarantine. Yeah, and then cable number one was 18. Right. So it makes you wonder, like, Marvel maybe wants to pull back a little bit on having 400 different X-Men titles out there? Maybe. I think that this is such a weird month that we can't say for sure. Yeah. Um, also, maybe they just need to relaunch them as X-Men colon cable, X-Men colon Hellions. <laughs> Although know. Giant Size X-Men colon Nightcrawler was 23 on the list mm. for some reason. So who knows? It's a weird time. It's going to be a really weird time. I'm both excited and very nervous to look at next month's numbers. I have a theory. I have a theory. Can I tell you my theory? Yeah. Strange Adventures is so low because Tom King took that sabbatical to write movies and wasn't hawking a book or two and also wasn't like necessarily on Twitter hawking a book or two 
uh, for quite some time that his stock has dropped a bit. I think Batman tanked his stock more than that. I think they Batman were pretty what? outspoken. At least Mr. Ads and Doc Shander were very outspoken about Strange Adventures. They were, but I'm just shocked that it wasn't higher because the Mr. Miracle, you know, hype is so big. Everyone loved that series. And for this new one to basically a sequel in a sense to drop so low, hmm. yeah. uh, it was a shock to me. It's possible. I don't know. It's any number of things, right? Any any number of things also made Spider-Woman number one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's definitely... I think that's the biggest surprise of the month yeah. for sure. Well, I'll tell you my biggest surprise. What's that? AWA, Artists, yeah. Writers, and Artisans, signs an exclusive distribution deal with Diamond. Yeah, at, at a time a when... A little weird scene. Diamond is... Yeah, Diamond... Don't trust Diamond. Let's make a... Let's make a exclusive deal with them. Especially because they were the first publisher I saw transition very quickly to digital format and change their mm-hmm. format for digital. They actually released their stuff in kind of the um, the tower stack, like the webtoon format. Yeah. And, and two different media sites. Like, they were like, right. hey, here's the first issue of The Resistance. Um, that kind of stuff, which was actually our highest reviewed book that week. It was, unfortunately, 65 on the list with 26,000 sales. So it wasn't even that. Maybe they realized that they had a problem getting books into stores. I don't know. Oh, yeah, you could be right But there, I kind of sure. feel like they're leading with a very strong lineup here. The Resistance by J. Michael Straczynski, Year Zero by Benjamin Percy, Archangel 8 by Michael Marecki, um, a couple of other books that they've, they're they leading with. I think maybe they realized that they had a distribution problem and Diamond was the best solution to that, unfortunately. Yeah. I don't know. I was just hmm. really excited to see... An about face, given that they were the first publisher I saw respond so comprehensively to the COVID stuff. You know, it's 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 very hard to get product in front of people's eyes, which is why Walmart has come out <laughs> with uh, comic book displays in three thousand of their stores with a comic publisher called Allegiance Arts and Entertainment, uh-huh. the well, which I've never heard of. <laughs> the AAE, as I like to call them. <laughs> They uh they have some books by folks I've never heard of, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. No, no. I don't know why you would think, as a publisher, that after DC of all people thought, eh, actually this Walmart thing isn't working out, that you would succeed. Yeah, it's an interesting move. It's almost like Walmart was like, "Damn, we have all this space that we don't need. Uh, we don't have anything for. Let's find a publisher to fill that yeah, space." Yeah, it's so weird. Like, I don't, I don't get it. I don't know why walmart thinks that this is going to work out for them given that dc pulled out i don't know why the publisher think that this is going to work for them given that dc pulled out i don't get it you know i I don't understand it at all if you can get product in front of someone's face i guess but you're right this is probably not going to succeed no i don't think it will this is an article on icv2.com that we're pulling from and in the article they mentioned that a lot of these projects these comic series were all funded by indiegogo Mm campaigns Mm -hmm. wow actually you know i don't want to um cast aspersions at all yes but Mm -hmm. indiegogo is a very popular um front not front platform for um comic skate books really yes absolutely interesting okay so that's interesting let me let me just postulate here for a moment dc comics a lot of them are progressive maybe that's why they weren't working out in certain walmart's Maybe in the South. And this line of books may work out really well in the South, if what you said may be true. 
Yeah, it's possible. I don't know. I mean, that could be what both parties are thinking. Yeah. I, I have no idea. We'll see if they are successful or maybe we won't see because they may not release their figures. But <laughs> yeah. Uh, these might also be more geared towards a younger audience. I don't know. They're all titles like these. Let me just read some of the titles. Nora's Saga, The Futurists, Bass Reeves, and Red Rooster. I have no idea what these books are about. I can't tell from the titles. They look like they might be like fantasy title. I don't know. Yeah. Um, indie books with semi-original ideas, I'm sure. Yeah. But uh, I mean, I don't want to dump on the creators or the titles or anything like that. I just yeah. think I'm very suspicious of the business parties here. Yeah, given I mean, the history of what's happened. If you previously. could, if you could tap into an audience of people, whether or not they are, you know, trash people, <laughs> trash humans, uh, to fund your your campaigns, that doesn't necessarily mean your 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 series are good, right? Because you can get political party to sort of help you push something. Well, yeah, and um, I think that the I get what you're saying. I think the reverse is also true, which mm-hmm. is that you can create some media and not have that be your intention at all and still a gross community will latch on to it. Mm-hmm. You know, like um <laughs> I think Taylor Swift was mortified that people were calling her like the white power princess and stuff. Mm-hmm. She has an entire mm-hmm. documentary about that. Yeah, because you can kind of get labeled pretty right, easily. Right. You know what won't be on labels? Dan Slot's name on Iron Man going forward. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he revealed via his private Twitter that uh, he will be done with Iron Man after the Iron Man 2020 event. Yes. Not super surprising. Nope. Um, seeing as you know his Iron Man run kind of ended, then this event started. Yeah, that's true. We didn't really know what he was going to do after. Uh, we know he's co-writing Empire right now as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. This is interesting because this is a primo uh, Marvel character. So who takes up the reins? Yeah, I don't know. I saw some people saying like it would have to. It would be a very specific writer that would get me to pick up Iron Man. A lot of people don't mm-hmm. read Iron Man. I don't think that that Dan Slott series did particularly well, although the covers were amazing. Oh, yeah, for sure. I know you liked it. I, I wasn't a huge fan. Yeah, I had I, I loved moments. I feel like it was stretched a bit thin. Like they were trying to make a six issue arc last twelve. Mm, mm-hmm. um, and then Valerio Shidi's art is amazing. Um, he's he's very good and very fast. Mm. So, but yeah, it's it's felt like I I I don't fault Dan Slott on some level because he had to follow Brian Michael Bendis who like forced upon the next writer a very very like strict storyline. Yeah. yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like I mean it's kind of the daredevil and... bet, right? Right. Yeah. He's he's not only dead, he has his mom back who also worked for Shield, who may have worked for the bad guy, I don't know. It was it was pretty convoluted. Dead. Yeah. I would um, love to see Steve Orlando tackle Iron Man. I think oh, he's yeah. very good at writing science fiction. I think he's very good at writing masculinity toxic masculinity in particular i i would also love to see saladin ahmed write iron man a fantastic yeah. sci-fi writer and then um you could get iron heart in there um particularly because i think he writes those teenage characters like miles very very well i wonder who would draw it let's get brian hitch on this <laughs> and you know t- tony stark's a character i've had not very many i haven't had i haven't read many arcs where i felt connected to the character his like ego and his many riches just mm. makes him very difficult for me to like get into it. Yeah, and I've seen so many people play up that oh he's an egomaniac and also like you know trying to fight this alcoholism. Like I don't care. It's kind of my my take. Yeah, I don't find him a very likable character. 
I don't, yeah. I don't, I, there are not many Iron Man books or storylines I can name even. The, the movies have certainly catapulted a very specific figure into the stratosphere that I maybe isn't tenable in comics. I don't know. Yeah. Right. But it did feel I wonder nice when we'll find some, out. Go ahead. I was just going to, no, what, what, what felt nice? I felt nice to have some normal comic book news. Yeah, like, right? Like I was a writer <laughs> leaving a book. All right, well, we can speculate. That's fun. Exactly. Because, yeah, it was pretty much everything on hold for a little while there. Yeah. Now, when do we find out who the next person will be? Ooh, ooh, is it possible? December 2022. 2022? Okay, <laughs> I'm going to write that down. We're going we're gonna to check you um, on that show. Um, I wonder if part of the reason is that slot is leaving is because there's a natural reason for Iron Man getting a new creative team after empire. Maybe. And that's a whole 2020 thing. His identity might change again. Hopefully he's not still dead. Yeah. Cause he's still dead. Right. I mean, he's just an AI. Like I the have, actual I Tony no Stark idea. isn't back. I don't know. It's complicated. It's science fiction. It's complicated. Yeah. In our Speaking next segment of which <laughs> AIPT book club, we're going to be talking about East of West volume one by Jonathan Hickman and Nick Dragota. Do you like Jonathan Hickman? I like Jonathan you... Hickman. You do? Okay, good. I uh, find I usually have to read Jonathan Hickman twice, but then I like Jonathan Hickman. He's very layered. He's very complex. He he offers ideas, but not a lot of answers to draw you in, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. This is your pick this week, so you get to break down the story It for is us. my pick. So um, I'm going to be very upfront about this and say, you will enjoy this comic more if you read the Wikipedia plot summary. Okay. If okay. you know what the stakes are prior to reading the first volume, I assure you, you will like it more. Mm-hmm. The names, the places, the ideas, they're described very slapdash, very fast, and then you're thrown into the deep end of terms, places, all sorts of other ideas, right? right. All of this stuff that I'm about to read is from the Wikipedia page. Thank you, kind Wikipedia writer. Um, and happens actually before the first issue. East of West is set in a dystopian future of the present-day United States. In this timeline, the Civil War never ended, and there was an extended war between the Union, the Confederacy, an African-American kingdom, and a Native American confederacy, Chinese exiles, and Texan separatists. Whoa. The strife comes to a sudden halt when a comet hits present-day Kansas on November 9th, 1908. The six warring parties meet at Armistice, the location of the comet's impact, and make a truce, thereby forming the seven nations of America. Armistice, the Union, the Confederacy, the Kingdom, the Endless Nation, the Republic of Texas, and the People's Republic of America. On the same day as the comet impact and the signing of a treaty, there were simultaneous yet independent prophecies. I li- Elijah Longstreet was a soldier in the Confederate Army under Stonewall Jackson. He wrote part of his prophecy down and then collapsed and died. Red Cloud had become the chief of chiefs to the endless Indian nation. By defeating the Mandy Indian chiefs and uniting all of the Indian tribes under himself, he transmitted his portion of the prophecy orally and then too collapsed and died. For 50 years, so there's a big time jump even before the comic starts, These prophecies, referred to by believers as the message, remained incomplete. And then in 1958, Chairman Mao Zedong of the PRA wrote an addendum to his Little little Red book. This addendum was the third piece of the prophecy and completed the message. It now became clear that the message was a prophecy of the end times. 
The four horsemen of the apocalypse, them being death, war, famine, and conquest, seek to fulfill this prophecy by following the message. Believers in the message make pilgrimage to the site of the comic impact, but are always killed by the four horsemen. One year later, conquest spares an infant child, blah, 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 um, introduces, I, I kind of brush over that because there are some spoilers in there, but um, they create a council of people known as the Chosen, and one uh, character in particular named Ezra Orion, the premier of Armistice, is the keeper of their message. So they've basically taken high-ranking individuals in all of these different nations and appointed them to move forward the message, their agenda, in secret, even though the nations may be warring in proxy wars or quietly with each other. Now on the path to Apocalypse, the horsemen get derailed when Death, the central character, falls in love with Xiao Lan, one of the daughters of Mao V. She and Death have a son together, and Death loses interest in the mission of the horsemen. A number of things happen between there and the beginning of the first issue, but they are central to the plot in that it goes back and forward in time frequently. That sets everything up for a kind of Clint Eastwood-esque revenge story in a science fiction western dystopia yeah it's very very dense i honestly think i honestly and truly believe and maybe that's my biggest complaint with the book we'll get into in a minute that it makes a lot more sense if you just read that first yeah i went in uh reading this this week um forgetting almost everything because i only really read the first or second issue mm -hmm. when it came out um and it, it very quickly in the opening explains a lot of what you just said, but then it doesn't really refer to it again in the first five. Right. Issues. And you, you often get introduced to characters once or you get introduced to a character and their allegiance only once. Um, and sometimes I think it's intentionally obfuscated because the political game is certainly part of the comic. Yeah. But other times it's like, I don't know who this person is. Right. Um, especially right. given that it's still kind of leaning on like, confederacy imagery and stuff there's a lot of men with white hair and pointy mustaches and cowboy <laughs> yeah. hats and those sorts of things um but basically what we're looking at is a plot where the world was at eternal war a comet intervened a large multi national conglomerate was made that is secretly being run by three of the four horsemen of the apocalypse while the fourth, Death, the main character, seeks to um, stop their plan, stop, the, stop their plan, and make amends to his wife. Right. Um, it, it's kind of fascinating the 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 mix of sci-fi and like old school America. Mm -hmm. Right. Is that something that you like about it? I yeah, very much. I like the Native American angle. I like the idea that you know, let's take human history and then stop it at a certain point during the civil war and then go forward with that. It is odd that there are like these technological advances, but then also it's like old West style, like crummy buildings out in the um, boonies. Mm -hmm. But then you've got these like robot horses with giant laser heads. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like it's the kind of sci-fi that you have to kind of, you don't get a full explanation of everything. And again, also I want to point out like there are no data pages. There are pages where there's some text, but there's no like uh, X-Men style data pages that explain no. this, this world at all, which I, while I was reading the first five issues, I kept thinking that might have improved upon 
some of the questions I had about like Absolutely. why is there high tech stuff? Why are there why are there like bio organic technology techno organic technologies and then also seemingly normal looking guns? Yeah, I think it's definitely something that he learned. Right? Like that's why it's in his current books now. Oh, I see, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the blending of um cultures into this new American culture is quite fascinating. And if you, if you're at all a history buff and like, like to look at old maps of America and like how like France owned a chunk of land and the Dutch owned, like that's kind of cool. Cause there is a map in there where you can see how the land is divvied up. Mm-hmm. Speaking of which, where did the French go? Cause they were really important in the civil war, right? Uh, they went away. Or was that the revolutionary war? No, I'm thinking of the, yeah, you're thinking war. of the American revolution, not the civil war. <laughs> kind of defies what civil means also another interesting element even though there are like there is like a native american nation and there's like i think an african-american nation yeah. there it doesn't seem to be any racism at least in the oh i issues. totally disagree with that where did in you the see the first racism? couple of pages do you mean the when barkeep they're at the bar tells, yeah the barkeep tells uh, Depp that he won't have those unclean uh, people in his bar I suppose that's true. And there's a lot of little punches like that. But then you've got the council, and they're not really racist towards uh, each other. I think one of them calls one of the others a savage, doesn't he? Uh, that might be later, but there's certainly stuff like that. The, the, I think the... I think well, Before I get into the negative, uh, well, what also works is the art. I think Nick Dragota is doing some of his mm-hmm. best work. Yeah, absolutely. I, I really like the, um, the coloring into too i really like um how there's like this kind of sharper more defined color work for the current day and then the um the flashbacks are a softer pastel like color more oily Mm -hmm. painty which really lends itself to the western setting Mm. um i think frank martin has done a really good job with that the i uh, like the visuals pretty much yeah you, you it's very unique. Yeah. You you'll read this book and, and you won't go like, oh, this is like Blade Runner or this is like Dune or whatever. Mm-hmm. This is its own world. Yeah, I think Hickman knows what he likes too. I mean, there are a lot of he always has like he loves characters that have are very uh, monotone. They're just black mm-hmm. and white. He loves albino characters. Oh yeah, that's true. Death, Wolf, yeah. and Crow are all all kind of albino. Um, yeah, he likes those very sharp visuals. And, and I appreciate it because it makes things, even dialogue scenes, very visually interesting. Yeah, if, if you dig sci-fi, I think it's an easy bet you'll like this series. I think if you like westerns, too. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind yeah. of the like perfect, the the, the perfect uh, in-between. You know, when I was reading it, I kept thinking of uh, Scott Snyder and Charles Soule's new Image comic series mm. on Discovered Country. Because mm-hmm. in, in the same sense, it feels like it's it's doing heavy lifting as far as building a new sci-fi futuristic world. Um, and it has its own rules and you have to kind of figure it out. Yeah, uh, that's fair. Totally. It made me wonder like when, when Snyder and soul were creating their world, did they think at all about East of West? Maybe. I think it's a very influential series. I definitely think of it as one of the um, like seminal image series. Um, you know, I, I tend to think of Spawn and Saga, Walking Dead, and East of West as being the kind of premier image books. Yeah, because it came out at a time when they weren't, they were still trying to 
Mm-hmm. Mark their territory as yeah. far as great it came out original at, stories. I don't know if they still do this, but it came out at a time when they were still doing the first volume was nine ninety nine, mm-hmm. which is a really accessible entry point too. Um, and I think that they targeted very specific creators and stories for that purpose. Um, another thing that I really like actually is the I own the physical copies of the first four or five trades, and the design mm-hmm. is amazing. I don't know yeah. if that can be attributed to um, Nick Dragata or Hickman. I know Hickman does a lot of graphic design himself, like the data pages um, are, are some of his work. And then there's, you know, like kind of all these interstitial pages, like you were saying with tidbits of like prophecy and like poetry and um, that kind of stuff in there that take the place of what would be data pages, I guess. It's all very visually appealing. It's very well designed. Um, I don't see a credit for that. So I'm. A, I think it's Hickman. I, I think I, he's pretty. Yeah, I at the time when on all of his books he had stuff like this going. Yeah, on. I think it's probably um, Hickman and Dragota together, maybe. But it looks yeah, very very sharp. Yeah, and he's got those like buffer pages that don't have a lot of text, mm-hmm. but and yeah. mostly white. Yeah, that kind of you know kind of reset your mind as you set up the next section. Um, the other thing that works for me before we get into what we think doesn't work is that I really like digging into that prophecy type stuff um mm-hmm. there's like the th- of the third but not of the three a cup of a cup a chalice of a chalice is a repeated phrase um that takes different meanings throughout the series because it's initially very explicitly one thing and then that kind of changes um especially like people are talking around the message and how they interpret the message how other people think that the message can't be interpreted any other way um a lot of the characters are maybe poorly defined, but represent very interesting philosophical or political ideas. Um, it's a very lofty, heady book. But if you read it multiple times and you dig into the symbolism, I think it has kind of its own internal meter, too. A story mm-hmm. pace that is abstract to as compared to a lot of other comics. Um, it's very worthwhile to dig into it and see how it references things that are happening in the future that we don't know the meaning to yet or how those things are recontextualized by things that happened in the past. It, it, I think it's very worthwhile. It's, it's poetic yeah. in a way. When you're reading it, you realize a lot of work has gone into stuff that's not on the surface yeah. that you can dig right. into and kind of figure out on your own. So there, there isn't necessarily a mystery per se but there is a mystery in trying to understand how all this stuff works and comes together. yeah i think that there is a mystery in terms of motivation right mm-hmm. um oh yeah for death for and sure. then there's kind of it almost the book acts as itself kind of an unreliable narrator because you'll get different perspectives on a certain scene throughout time Mm-hmm. Um, and that's very, very interesting and unique. I, I I like this book a lot. There are things that I don't like at all, too. <laughs> okay, what do you not it's like? It's so confusing. Yeah. I think, like, a lot, the other side of the coin of what I was saying was, like, if you read it multiple times, you get it. But mm-hmm. I really do feel like that Wikipedia plot summary is essential reading just to understand the players and the places at hand. Yeah. Um. It's, it's confusing. People talk in not a way that people would normally talk at all. The dialogue isn't very natural, which I think is a, a complaint that a lot of people level against Hickman frequently. 
Um, and it's, it's very true here. Some of that is because of the genre, like it's trying to be intentionally terse Western storytelling. Um, mm-hmm. but then it's like met with this very dense sci-fi political intrigue. And I think it's kind of hard to reconcile those two things, mostly in the dialogue. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the world. I like the visuals. I think Dragata and Martin bring it to life very well. Mm-hmm. But sometimes when people are talking, you're like, well, wait, this guy sounds like a cowboy. But this other guy sounds like a cyberpunk future boy. <laughs> cyberpunk future and there's boy. No, there's no bridge between them. It's it's weird. It's hard to understand this culture, this oh, yeah. world. And I guess because of the comet, uh, America was reduced to almost nothing or, you know, trades trade lines were destroyed mm-hmm. and entire cities were were probably killed with famine. So we've got this old west thing. And yet somehow there's all this high-tech stuff here and there, but not necessarily everywhere. Mhm. And it makes you go like, okay, why doesn't everybody have one of these lava shooting horse machines? <laughs> his, his flea robot? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, one thing that was kind of fascinating while I was reading the first five issues was like how uh, you, you slowly realize death is actually the hero. I wasn't immediately sure if he was or not at the start. Um, I, I would say that later in the series that's in question too. But, but so yes. it's 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 a it's always going up and down with He's your, kind of an your anti, opinion of an antihero. I mean, by the end of the first arc, it's pretty clear he's the only guy that may stop the end of the world. Yes, yeah. Even though he's part of the four horsemen. Yeah, I do like that dichotomy, but the motivations aren't always clear for sure. And that's why uh, you hit the nail on the head right there. That's one of the main problems I have with this book. I don't know who to like. I don't know who's. I don't even know why I should care about a lot of these mm, characters. Mm-hmm. Like Death's ex-wife, she's interesting in that she's strong and and powerful, and you know she's willing to do whatever it takes to get control and 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 uh, and power. So you kind of respect that in a world where there is everyone is powerless. But at the same time, like. She's also kind of evil. I don't know if I want to like her. And I don't really know if I should because she's killed so many people. Yeah, I think by the end of the first <laughs> volume that that's kind of where you're left, where you're like, well, none of these people are likable. Right. And that changes right. over time, I think. But if I read this first volume, I would be like, that's pretty depressing. I don't know. Like, even the bartender guy, like, yeah. I know he's racist and awful, but then there's a moment there where you're like, well, he's also being, a, he's like a victim of these other characters. And then all of a sudden, there's like a special magical like thing that pops up the the hologram Earth, mm, mm-hmm. and you realize that he has a whole other deal. Although I know he was like a, a he's like an informant, yeah, yeah or a uh, you know he hunts yeah, people down, yeah. right? I don't know. It's it's and then obviously then there's like a whole montage where we see politicians get their heads cut off, and again, and then you, so you have no faith in the governments. Uh, not to mention the council, every single one of them is is out to stab each other in the back for whatever reason. Yeah, I mean, I think it depends um, on your, in the current climate, it depends on how deep you want to get into the fact that corporations and politics are inherently untrustworthy and gross and exploitative, right? right? right That's our right. real world so much right now. And this book doesn't shy away from that at all. In fact, I think the tagline was something like the things that divide us are the, are stronger than the things that keep us together. 
Right. And it's like, it's not a hopeful book. Um, And it is clever to make you root for the guy who's actually the embodiment of death. Sure. Yep. It's just, it's not a fun time when you don't know, like, who to root for. I don't know. Yeah, I get that. Maybe maybe I'm looking at it the wrong way. I'm, I'm looking at it more like a traditional, like, hero's journey when really it's, it's this mishmash of, like, Evil lurks everywhere. Doom lurks everywhere. Where do we find any hope in this world when that's going on? I don't know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think I have the benefit of having read significantly more of the book than you. Mm -hmm. Um, And I know that that stuff changes over time. But I'm trying to put myself in the mindset of like, if I finish this first volume, I don't know that I would want to read more today like I did want to read more back in 2013. Mm, interesting yeah i mean the hype around a book and obviously is that's really not important the book's fault no yeah i just i guess i want more context about where the world yeah. this america is at totally like is like for all i care the freaking four horsemen should destroy the earth because it doesn't seem like it's worth saving <laughs> yeah um did you have any other uh anything else that didn't no i think you? that's mostly it um you know i could take or leave the racism I think it is there. I think the sexism is there as well. Um, But I also think that they're kind of trying to demonstrate that culture has not necessarily progressed past the early 1900s. Yeah. Um, And I think, you know, sometimes a text or a, um, a character can be problematic and that doesn't make the book inherently problematic. It's important. People are unlikable. That stuff is real. But at the same time, it's not necessarily fun to read. So I kind of fall somewhere in the middle on this one in particular, as compared to when we talked about Swamp Thing, where I was like, you know, all this sexual violence imagery is completely unnecessary. Um, Mm -hmm. This stuff is kind of painting a very particular world, and it's also uh, informing the characters a little bit more. So your mileage may vary, I guess, on that front. Yeah, there isn't a lot to go on, so anything is good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> to kind of get gather who these characters are. Um, let's talk about the art because I love the art. Yeah, my uh, fa- favorite uh, artistic moment was in issue one with uh, Death. He is uh, going to blow someone away in the end of the issue, and the way Dragata draws the gun in his face, the the uh, muzzle of the gun is getting bigger, really doing well with perspective there. And then behind him is just like blood splatter all behind him. And uh, he's in a rage. And in the very next panel, he starts firing and he still has this angry face, but also like a face of like, he's doing a job. He's getting something done. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think this is a really good embodiment of like the emotional element of this character. He isn't, like a conventional death that you may have seen with a cloak and a sickle or whatever. He actually has like a human side to him. Mm -hmm. Uh, So yeah, this visual, like, I don't know. It's just very striking and also uh, uh, helps convey who this guy is. Yeah. I think, you know, it would be very easy to make the four horsemen not expressive Mm -hmm. because they are kind of these alien extra dimensional, otherworldly figures right and a lot of times hickman in particular likes to obfuscate characters faces to get that across i mean if you look at xavier with the helmet in x-men right now that that's kind of the entire point um as well as with a number of his other characters but i do think it flips it on its head to tell dragata like make death look angry 
and hurt. Yeah. Um, yeah. And stuff. And that, that's very, very cool. Yeah. He's like one of the most emotional characters in this yeah, book. Totally. I mean, his ex-wife's cold and, and his two um, well, henchmen. Yeah. There, they're both very unemotional. And obviously there are reasons for that. I think mm-hmm. his henchmen are really funny. Crow and Wolf, actually. Um, I think they're kind yeah. of finding the humor in him carrying this bloody path across the world. But, um, yeah, and there's reasons for all that stuff, but it, it does make it hard for so- to give you someone to latch on to. And death ends up being that figure, which is so, like, paradoxical that it makes it very fun. And the page you picked right. totally picks up on that. Right, right, for sure. What's yours? Mine is the very last page of the volume. Um, because I think it captures the narrative thrust of the entire series very well. It's kind of weird, this book. I would say you almost need to read the first volume as the first issue. Like, it's yeah. all essential. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And you're not going to... I don't know that you would be sold by just the first issue. Unless you are already right. bought into Hickman and Dragata and stuff like that. But I think that once you get there, it's very good. Um, so Death has these two figures that follow him, two indigenous peoples crow and wolf and they have the abilities to literally turn into like a murder of crows and a pack of wolves now death is um as we've said before riding this kind of robotic flea with a laser face um hey kind of reminds me of the something in saga isn't there a character like yeah that? i think there's several uh, yeah saga is a whole other thing um, but yeah. basically, the very last page of this volume, a lot has just happened. You've basically been given the narrative hook, which I don't really want to spoil because it's the fun of the book. Um, but Death is riding away into the sunset. The sun is low, low, um, just this big white orb uh, across the bottom of the page. And then you have these packs of wolves surrounding Death and crows above his head in this orange sunset. and says, God help anyone who tries to get in my way. As the central figure, this vertically tall figure, Death, um, is silhouetted and riding this flea robot. And it gives you that narrative hook that you want with just the simple caption. But it also implies that there's a lot more to come, the way that Death is setting out on this path. The art is very beautiful with negative space. And then also, like, the clash of the genres is very apparent here. Because you have recognizable figures like the crow shadows and the wolf shadows and even the man with the cowboy hat and then this totally weird alien thing that he's riding yeah and i the thin legs are bizarre. yeah it looks weird it looks wrong and it um i i would say that even just this image makes it look evocative of sci-fi right like of dune maybe in particular um Mm -hmm. and that's really really cool that they captured it all in that final page and it gives you reason to look towards the future just as death yeah. is does death have a power shooting okay yeah because like you know his henchmen there can literally turn into multiple animals to yeah rip people i mean apart. he's yes what about I mean, the other horsemen do they have powers? Yeah, totally okay they i have mean we powers. got a whole there's a whole like second issue dedicated to them cutting off the heads of what I would assume were very secure politicians. And yes, um, as we see them in adult form, they have like whips and cool guns and all sorts of other powers and stuff like that. So gotcha. 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 Cool beans. Yeah. How about your favorite narrative? So like we were saying with the um, scene where all the politicians heads are getting cut off, that's because um, 
death has killed the current president. And the three other horsemen are looking for a true believer to carry the message um, at Armistice in the Chosen for them. They're uh, interviewing, basically, and basically threatening um, the vice president of the United States, who's now the, or United, whatever, um, who's now the acting president. And they've got all three of him, or he, they've got him in a chair, and all three of them are kind of descending on him. And it's, it's very visually funny because they're children. Um, because they've just been reincarnated, but um, he's saying, like, I know who you are, and I'll do what you want, and they're saying, well, we need a true believer in the message, not someone mm -hmm. who sees it as a political ploy or deal to be made, and he says, like, oh, you can't do that, and one of the other kids says, I think that a parade can very quickly become a professional, a processional. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was good. And it's, like, the kind of thing that even though they're children, they're inhuman in a way, and that would send chills down your spine. Mm -hmm. um, it's scary and funny. Uh, I really, yeah. It just captures the tone of their threatening presence very well. Yeah, seeing children murder is, is <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's disturbing stuff, and, I, and it's so easy. I like I was telling you just before, I do laugh out loud at some of the very on the nose stuff. Like the woman who eventually gets chosen to become president, her name's Antonia Lavey. Yeah, um, and she's wearing like this long drapey goth dress and has black and white streaks through her hair. Uh, it's really good. She's not wearing a bra. It's very like yeah. Yeah, there's a mix of violence and, and sexuality yeah, there. Yeah, for sure. Which is Anton LaVey's whole thing. <laughs> Do you want to explain to the audience who that Anton is? Anton LaVey uh, wrote the uh, Satanic Bible, and he was the founder of the Church of Satan, which, as I think most people know at this point, really had nothing to do with Satanism as, at all, as much as it had to do with rejecting societal norms and with expressing yourself and doing and feeling what is good more naturally um, in terms of self-fulfillment, sexuality, lots of other stuff. And actually that character, Antonia, uh, evokes that very well. But it's also just the, the nose check of a very gothic woman named Antonia LaVey becoming the messenger of Apocalypse. Mm -hmm. Interesting. I wonder how much other, other things like that are layered into the series. There's totally references to Clint Eastwood things very deliberately. That kind of stuff. It's fun. He's playing around with the genre. Right. Nice. Uh, my favorite narrative moment was in issue three. Uh, Death's henchmen there are talking about death falling in love mm. and how it changes you. It makes the old new. It makes dead things live. Love makes you into something better. And the wolf guy says, it's the reason a wolf would chase a crow even knowing he can't fly. <laughs> yeah. And she don't ever need to touch the ground. It just, I, I like the idea of it. Um, and it, it very simply in a, a philosophically, in a philosophical way explains how the embodiment of death can change too with a little bit of love. Well, and I think it, if you don't mind me saying, their, their names are literally wolf and crow too. Yeah. So he's, oh, so true. he's kind of saying like, and that's why I'm in love with you. Right, 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 yeah. right. Right in his uh, in his parable yeah. there, um, yeah, it's little bits like that where you get the character development, which is kind of my thing when it comes to just reading any comic. Mm -hmm. So seeing like seeing that element 
informs you on the other characters. Totally, so, yeah, that's, totally. That's I think Hickman is a very funny. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, and he knows how to, like, get your goat. Mm-hmm. Whereas other jokes might l- not uh, land. I think Hickman pretty much lands them all, even even though there isn't a lot of jokes, which is probably why they work so yeah, well. Yeah, and I think even... It's, I find small things funny, and I think he wrote them to be funny, like the one guy's comically oversized cigar. It's, like, two right. feet long. Right. So where do we think this is going? Well, we already know it's ended. Yeah, it ended in December. It was 45 issues. Um, obviously... Mm-hmm. Image books takes, take a little longer to come out or their schedule is um, different than normal Marvel and DC books. So it's actually been six years for those 45 issues. Yeah, there were gaps. Yeah. Um, I would say that we had already alluded to where I think that this is going in that everything that he learned from writing East of West is now maybe more fully realized in X-Men. Interesting. Um, the data pages, the world building the apocalyptic and future prophecy visions, a mixture of violence and religion and sexuality. It's dancing around the same themes and it's making um, light of very, very heavy topics culturally. And Mm -hmm. um, it's also, I think he's learned to write characters a little bit more likable since then too. At least right. since this first volume, because the issues of New Mutants that he has written um, with Ed Brisson are so mm-hmm. full of heart and so funny and so mm. natural and human feeling um, in a way that, you know, East of West isn't. Yeah, the characters don't let their hair down much in this. No, tale. no. Whereas like New Mutants, it feels like a lot of hair letting down. Yeah, yeah. Uh, even in the thick of battle. Um, I wonder if there'll be a sequel. I, I obviously have no idea how this ends, so maybe that's impossible. Um, maybe there doesn't need to be. 45 issues is quite a long run. But uh, there will be one if they ever turn into a TV show, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, which I could see HBO picking this up when they're done with which Westworld. There was an Amazon show, um, but they withdrew. Oh, they took the pitch? They Yeah. Did they? Did they? Do you know if they did the the pilot? Uh, there wasn't. I don't think that there was a pilot. It was in development for some uh, time, and then Hickman said that it uh, was no longer in development. If they make a sequel, can they call it North of South? <laughs> That's pretty good. I'm sorry. Yeah, I don't, I don't I think like it, it was. Sure. <laughs> I'll definitely be finishing the series yeah. uh, going on from here. This was a good series to pick up for the book club. I think mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because it's. It, I love. I love series that are finite. There are certain series out there that are still going, and you never know when sure, they'll end. Away. That's that's a big reason why Saga, I think, is such a, a, a huge, um, hugely popular series because people know it will. It's end. a very discreet story. Yeah, yeah. Whereas you know, Spider Man's going to go on. <laughs> right. Spider Man's going to Spider Man right. for his for all of yeah. Time. I do think it's kind of like um, I guess I, I want to compare it to professional wrestling. Where sometimes mm-hmm. in WWE, you're like really excited by a very particular angle or a very particular wrestler getting a push because you really like them. And that's a small element of this big machine that you like kind of getting pushed forward. And I think mm-hmm. that that's kind of true of like Batman and Superman and Spider-Man and, and Wonder Woman and stuff in that, like, those stories are always going to keep going. So people latch on to the, the small arcs and the small characters and the small writers that they like. 
and those things loom larger in their mind, it allows them to take kind of the weird reboot-esque, always churning nature of the product and latch onto a small thing that they like in it. Um, and WWE functions the same way, whereas East mm-hmm. of West and um, Saga, that kind of stuff, is more like watching Creed in mm. that there's a very specific arc about a specific person and it ends, even though right. it's evocative of you know the same medium for storytelling, sports, fighting, as the other product, its, its purpose is entirely different. Um, maybe you can even compare it to UFC, where sometimes two fighters come together for a title, and then they never come together again. And that's it. I wonder if done by another creator, the butt of the idea of East of West is so rich, you could have sprouted like five series. Totally, yeah. If you had Warren Ellis do it, do you think he would have? Because I know he's tried to kickstart universes before. Although it's never really been done, so maybe I'm just jumping ahead here and it doesn't make any sense. But uh, in our next AIPT book club, we will be picking another finite series uh, by Warren Ellis called Next Wave, mm-hmm. uh, also drawn by Stuart Amonin. That will be the book we'll be talking about next week. We're going to do the same rundown with that series. Yeah, and I have not read this one before, so I'm looking forward to it. I think it's one of those beloved series that isn't talked about a lot, but when you meet someone who, who's read it, they like love it beyond belief because hmm. it's so yeah. funny and the characters are clever and et cetera, et cetera. Warren Ellis, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> <laughs> In our last segment, Off Topic Top Shelf, I get to tell you what I've been into lately that's not comics related. And that would be the Michael Jordan documentary, The Last Dance. Uh, which is now into episode four. They've been releasing two episodes a week for the last three weeks or two weeks. Um, and it's a 10 part, 10 hour documentary That's series. Crazy. It is crazy. It follows the last championship the the uh, Chicago Bulls won. But it's quite interesting how it, it, it zeroes in on specific players. And then we'll actually literally do like a rewind effect to show you where that player started so like in one episode we it goes into dennis rodman and what he was doing on the team and then like as we get into his narrative it goes it goes to it back when he was a baby and then we find out like he grew up in a really racist town like what made him who he is uh when they won the championship so it's all about character arcs we get in the first four episodes we get michael jordan uh phil jackson the coach dennis rodman and Scottie Pippen. They all kind of get uh, 20-so minutes focus on each episode while also jet, um, following the the arc of the team, the drama of the owner who wanted to, like, fire everybody. And so, even Madonna shows up in one episode. <laughs> it's, it's, it's really well done. I just saw yesterday that it actually has been watched more than Tiger King. Wow. So it's the most watched documentary wow. of the year so far. It probably will win an Emmy for the quality of it. There's some really good, um, if you're into like menus and lower thirds, there's some good uh, generated effects in there. It it is kind of interesting how they do titles. Like, you know how they'll show someone and they'll be like, oh, David Brooke, Somerville, Massachusetts or whatever, Uh or media and content uh, manager for, it it shows, um, you know, President Obama. And instead of saying president, it says former Chicago resident. (laughs) (laughs) 
And then and then Bill Clinton shows up at one point. It's like Funny. former it's uh, Arkansas governor or something. And it's like, but he was what? Like you would always, for the context of the uh, documentary, they try to give you what their role is in the in the in the narrative uh-huh. rather than yeah. tell you like who they really are. Um, but this was a, an amazing era for basketball. I think everybody was tapped into the drama of Michael Jordan. The guy wanted to win more than anything, and. There are only certain there are only certain athletes over the years that have been that addicted to winning. Mm, mm-hmm. And the the documentary is a reminder that sports is soap opera. And hey, that's kind of what I'm saying. Yeah, like uh, at the time when this was all happening, we didn't maybe necessarily know why we wanted to know like, oh, why do they want to trade Jordan as if, you know, he's going to cheat on the Chicago Bulls with another team. But when you see it in this documentary format where it's doing a really good job of giving backstory on every player, it's it's a really robust story with a lot of interconnected dramas to kind of navigate, to further explain why it's so amazing they won three championships back to back to back and then three more a couple of years later and how they pulled that off. Um, and there's some interesting philosophical things in there due to Phil Jackson's you know, uh, him bringing a Native American uh, culture and Zen Buddhism into the uh, onto the basketball court with his, his players. Mm. Mm-hmm. So, if you like understanding humanity a little bit and all the drama that comes with it, watch the Last Dance. <laughs> so that's the end of our show. Thank you so much for listening. Yeah, thank you. We will be back next week. Uh, if you like the show, you know what to do. Force, what do they do? Uh, hit that bell. I think that's what people say on the YouTube videos. Do they really? Uh, yeah, because that gives oh, you a push funny. notification every time they put up a video. Uh, but we don't got that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, please nope. like and subscribe and uh, hit yep. us with a five-star review if you like the podcast. Hell yeah. Thanks so much.